Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here. I wasn't quite sure I was going to be here a couple days this week. I had a rough week health-wise. Thank God that he's healed me or partially healed me. So I'm here today. Thank you. Some of you knew and prayed for me. We are in a series that we started six weeks ago called um, uh, Game Plan. And we're talking about God's plan for your life. This is the last segment, segment six. If it was a football game, it would be the fourth quarter, right? So we're going to be finishing up. I do want to take a moment to thank all the volunteers that do so much around here. Uh, the obvious thing this week, obviously, is the redecorating of this room. Um, thank you for those folks. Uh, the children's area gets redecorated every month. And a couple of ladies, my wife included, uh, spend a lot of time and energy on that. So if you don't have kids, or if you, even if you do have kids, make sure you go back and check that area out also. But just so much gets done uh, by volunteers to make what we do here uh, possible. So thank all of you. So, <clears throat> we've been asking you to think about praying or asking God, what is your plan for my life? What is your will for my life? What do you want to do with my life? <clears throat> and that's an awesome thing to ask if you're serious and uh, when you find out. And last week we talked about three big ways to find out the answer to that. Uh, the first was, is it uh, compatible with God's Word? So, for example, I don't need to pray, should I be mean to my wife this week? Don't need to pray that prayer, do I? Uh, or kick the dog or whatever it might be. I don't need to pray that prayer because the Bible says, should I hate anybody? Should I not forgive anybody? I mean, there's so many things in the Bible that would make, you know, we can work on just those things. We wouldn't have to work about much, worry about much else. But there are those decisions we have to make that um, we need some help if we want to make the wisest decision. So then one week we talked about God's thumbprint, the way God's wired you. And I said, well, you know, I might think I want to be a country western singer, uh, but God would probably go like this. I know my family would go like this, because Dad, you can't sing. That's not God's thumbprint on me. So, you know, it it should be compatible with the way you're wired. Now, I'm going to tell a little bit about myself later, but sometimes we don't know exactly how we're wired, especially when we're younger. And then last week we talked about a biggie. Who remembers we talked about last week? Scary question. None of you were here last week, right? So you all have an excuse. Huh? Yeah, but uh, what was the, the point? How, what was the, the help we were going to get with uh, the teacher? Remember the object lesson. <laughs> uh, what was it? It was a real biggie. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Godly wisdom, remember? Seeking counsel from other people. Wise counsel. Um, it's so much easier to make a decision when three or four other people are saying, yeah, I think that's what God wants you to do. I think that's what God wants you to do. And some, it's easier sometimes for them to see God's thumbprint on you, on you also, right? So they were just some of the ways we've been sharing about ways to help you figure out what it is God's plan for your life. <clears throat> now today I'm going to specifically talk about some of the pushback. Some of the objections. Uh, one of the biggies is, yeah, this would have been great when I was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or for some of us 30 or 40 years ago. But now I'm just kind of too old. God's kind of passed me by. and You know, uh, uh, it's, it's too late. It's too late for me. 
Another pushback is this. Well, I just got too much baggage. I've screwed up here. I've screwed up one marriage. I've screwed up my health. I've screwed up my finances. Uh, you know, it's, I just got, you know, God, God's not going to use me. God's got a plan for me. Uh, why should I even pray that prayer? Now, one of the reasons we have that fallacy is because we all kind of have the same thinking, whether we think we're too old, we got too much baggage, whatever it be. And I'll put this up on the screen. All of us have a tendency to think God thinks about us the way we think about us. So if I was to ask you, uh, how do you think God feels about you right now? Most of you are going to kind of evaluate maybe this past week and say, well, you know, I had a pretty good week. You know, I uh, tried to do my best. Somebody needed to help. I helped them. I think I read my Bible actually every day this week. And I prayed regularly. And I put money in the offering either this morning or I did it online. And uh, yeah, I had a pretty good week. I think God would give me a seven or eight. Or on the flip side, some of you might be thinking, well, I partied pretty hard last night. And I was looking at some things on the internet I shouldn't have looked at. And I got this bad habit that I fell back into and I just can't seem to beat it. And I yelled at my wife or kicked the dog or whatever I did. And, you know, God would probably maybe give me a two. Now, the problem is, God doesn't take his cue about how he thinks about you from you. That's the truth. In fact, if you sit back and objectively answer that question, you'd say, well, that's crazy. Yeah, God's not going to think about me the way I think about me. He's God. And just think, maybe Jesus was right. <laughs> crazy thing to say, right? Jesus being right. The disciples came to him one day and said, hey, uh, one thing we'd like your help with is how should we talk to God? How should we pray? And um, so Jesus gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. <clears throat> and it starts off, oh, most high heavenly Father, King of kings, Lord of lords, blah, 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 blah. That's how it starts, right? How does it start? Our Father. Now, he is all those things, right? But when you and I want to address God, Jesus said that <laughs> he, God, wants us to approach him as our Heavenly Father. Later on, he used a term like uh, Daddy or Papa. So, many of you are parents here. And if you're parents, you should be all over this. As a parent, how do you tend to look at your kids? Whether they're toddlers or adults. Do you look at their failures and how they're screwed up? Or do you look at their, the pa in the past? Or do you look more, think more about their future and their potential and what they could do? And celebrate those things that they accomplish. I guess maybe not all parents. Let's say good parents. Good parents are going to do what? Not about the past, not about the mess-ups. You, you discipline them for that. That's fine. That's good. But it's about their potential and helping them grow and mature and be all God can uh, use them to be and, and, and so forth. So that's your focus. So if you and I can be that way about our kids, what do you think God thinks about us as his kids? And if we come to him with that prayer, God, what, what is your plan? What is your will for my life? We can just kind of imagine him putting his arm around us and saying, glad you asked. Let me tell you. And you and me can do great things.
And uh, what you did yesterday, what you did last week, what you did last year, really doesn't matter. It's about what we're going to do now. So he doesn't take his cue about you and, and me from us. Because he's the Heavenly Father. And when we do baptism, we see the baptism stories, we, we hear these stories about, yeah, I screwed up here, I did this, especially the older the candidate is in baptism. They had, a, had more of their life to mess up. You know, I messed up in one marriage and struggling in my second one, but, you know, it's me and God now and the marriage is working out or whatever it might be. So, put this on your, on your outline. <clears throat> God has a future for me regardless of what I've done. And I don't know what you've done or how bad you think it is, big or small. We could go through examples in the Bible, but there's not anything you and I can do that God, somebody in the Bible didn't do and God used them. So we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament as an example of how God doesn't see us the way we see us or even the way other people see us. We're going to go back to uh, Israel, when Saul became their first king, and they chose him, one reason they chose him because he was a head taller than everybody else. He just was bigger than everybody else. So we're going to make him the king because he's bigger than everybody else. Now, Samuel was the prophet, God's representative, and he would talk to Saul, and, and Saul was driving Samuel crazy because Samuel would tell Saul what God would want, and what would Samuel do? Samuel would either do, I mean, got it backwards, Samuel would tell Saul what to do and what would Saul do? He would do either what he wanted to do or what he thought the people wanted him to do. Think, you need to read the Bible. It's, it's, some parts are hilarious. There's a story <laughs> where Samuel hooks up with, with uh, Saul and says, hey, I thought I told you to do so and so. And, <laughs> and King Saul says, I did. And Samuel says, really? What are these sheep I hear? <laughs> Because he told him to wipe them all out. Well, I kind of did what you said. So anyway, he's driving Samuel crazy. He was driving God crazy because God said, okay, I've, I've had it with, Sam, uh, with Saul. He's saying to Samuel, I want you not to pick his son, cause, but Jonathan seemed to be a good guy, but not his son. I want you to go to Bethlehem to a house of a guy named Jesse. And when you get there, I'll tell you which son. I don't know if I can tell him ahead of time. When you get there, I'll tell you which son is going to be the next king. Now, Samuel was a, a, a religious guy, but he was a normal guy. And he said, whoa, if I anoint somebody else king, Saul's going to kill me, right? And God says, oh, I'll give you this plan. You know, you go and do the sacrifice, and we kind of will hide it. <laughs> All right, so we'll pick up the story. It's in 1 Samuel 16. <clears throat> so, finally arrives <clears throat> at Jesse's house. Samuel took one look at Eliab. He's the oldest son. That's the first one he would bring out. Normally the first son was the best. And thought, Samuel thought, hey, surely this is anointed. Looks like a king. I don't know what a king looks like, but he thought this is it. Firstborn, looks like a kingly guy. And uh, this has been easy. Okay, God? And so what's God say back? But the Lord said, there's buts. Don't eat those buts. <laughs> All through scripture. Uh, but <laughs> don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have re 
rejected him. Not him. Not the guy. He may look like the guy, but he's not the guy. He might look physically like the guy. He's not it. Now, did God reject Eliab as a person? Personally? No. And God doesn't reject you or I. He may reject us for some role in life. Country Western star. Most of you, he rejected as being a pastor. That was one he put on me. So God may reject a role. He doesn't reject us personally. So he's not anything personally against this, this oldest son. It's just not. He's not the one I've wired and chosen to be the next king. And then he says something pretty interesting. He says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see things. Now, when we think about it, that makes sense, right? He's God. He can see everything. He sees differently than we see. We kind of, the Bible talks about we see through a glass darkly. Everything's kind of vague to us. But God can see what's 2020 or 2010. I don't ever understood that 2010 thing, but uh, eyesight, perfect eyesight. So God sees. So I reword it this way. God does not see as man sees. God does not see as I see. <clears throat> if you really want proof of this, you just got to look at the Bible. There's all kinds of examples in there. But the interesting thing um, in our society now is something called fake news. Anybody watch 60 Minutes last week? I'm surprised. It came right on right after the basketball game. That's why I, I was interested. There was an article about there, a segment called Fake News. And it was, it was fascinating. And the interviewer was interviewing this guy about this fake news and he wouldn't admit it was fake news. It was made up. It wasn't true. He wouldn't admit it. You guys can go back and watch it. And I got to thinking, well, it's been around quite a while. You know, back when, even when I was young, there, there's these newspapers like National Enquirer. And most of us realize that wasn't real news, right? That was fake news. But now with the internet and Twitter and all these other things, there's so much that comes across that seems newsy. It's just made up. It's fake. And it's often one political side attacking another political side or whatever it might be. And my wife will read some of these things off her phone sometimes to me and I think, that's not true. Sometimes it's just crazy. But the Bible's true. There's no fake news in the Bible. So let's think of a couple examples. God's wanting to start a nation of his chosen people. So he calls this guy, winds up calling him Abraham eventually. And of course, to be a father of a great nation, you've got to have kids. And so Abraham gets older and older. His wife gets older and older. He tries to fix it for God. Said, I, you know, I, we, my wife's too old. We'll, we'll manufacture a chosen child, chosen family line. <clears throat> Eventually, they're both too old to have kids. And then God gives them uh, the, the promised child, and he becomes a father of a great nation. Now, would you have picked Abraham to be the father of your great nation? Would I have picked him? Would Abraham have picked himself? No. But God picked him. Moses, 500 years later. The Israelites have been in captivity for over 400 years. They've been slaves. That's all they've known. And God says to Moses, you're going to lead them out of the pro uh, to the promised land. But before that, 40 years earlier, he tried to do it himself and screwed it up, killed a guy, and ran off into the desert. So he's 80 years old. God comes to him, taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, I want you to do this. And what's his response? Okay, God, I'm ready. 
No, in fact, we don't know this, but he might even stutter. It's 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 not me. God, I I can't talk. And God says, okay, I'm still going to use you, but you take your brother along to help you talk. So, okay, God's going to get a guy that can't talk to go and convince the most powerful person in the world, Pharaoh in Egypt, to let his massive... (laughs) uh, his massive workforce go for free. That sounds like a positive scenario, right? Would you have picked Moses? Would I have picked Moses? Would Moses have picked Moses? God doesn't see as man sees. Fast forward to New Testament. Jesus leaves the earth. He starts a church. And, and he says, I gotta find, God says, I've got to find a guy to plant churches all over the Roman Empire. And there's this guy running around by the name of of Paul, he's hating this Christianity thing. And he's, he's trying to wipe it out. And God taps him on the shoulder and says, I think you're the perfect one. You're trying to destroy churches. I'm going to use you to plan churches. In fact, when the, the transformation happens, nobody in the church believes him. He said, God's called me to be a church planner. Everybody says, no, 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 no. We don't believe you. Would you have picked Paul? Would I have picked Paul? Would Paul have picked Paul? No. See, but it's not about the past. It's not about our mistakes. It's not even about our, our personalities, if you will. In fact, the obstacles, speaking, or whatever it might be, that we think are good excuses for telling God no, are the exact things God's going to use. Get to the disciples. If you're Jesus picking 12 guys to kind of hang out with and make sure the church happens, you're going to pick Matthew, right? Remember Max, the tax collector? Who are the most despised, hated people in all that, that, that society that day? We're tax collectors. Oh, yeah, I think Matthew, you'd be perfect. Some, some not very educated fishermen and some other people. And these are the people Jesus picked. Would you have picked them? I picked them? Would they have picked themselves? No. In fact, it's kind of hard to find what we quote, what we would say, good people in the Bible that God used. But, if you pray that prayer, God, what is your will for my life? I've shared this when I was a teenager. I was very, very shy and introverted. And so when God tapped me on my shoulder, I said, you've got the wrong guy. In a way, I'm going to stand up in front of people and talk. <laughs> kind of funny thinking about all these years later. Um, and the interesting thing, I had a brother two years younger than me, and he had one of these outgoing personality. Everybody liked him. He, he was funny and all this kind of stuff. But God tapped me on the shoulder. And he was act- active in church at the time. Um, if you ask my mom, who was the likely candidate to be a pastor? Who she would have said? My brother, not me. God doesn't see as man sees. And unfortunately, uh, my, God, my brother hasn't really followed God most of his life. So let's pick the story up. It's getting a little late. I'm going to go a little faster here. The Lord doesn't see things the way. You see them people judged by outward appearance, but the Lord sees the, the heart. Now, we don't have much else to go on, right? I can't see your heart. I mean, I get to know you a little bit. I can kind of understand your heart a little bit. But God looks at the heart. 
So that's why what you did yesterday is far less concerned to God than where your heart is today. Yeah, I did party too hard last night. That's all right. Where's your heart today? Next slide, please. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I screwed up that marriage. Well, where's your heart today? I messed this up, but where's your heart today? And it brings us to a theme that's all through the Bible. God redeems and restores. God redeems and restores. That biggest obstacle, that biggest mess up of yours, the biggest regret is possibly something God wants to use. God wants to leverage. Whatever that sin might be in your life. I've shared this many times before. My wife and I, when 13th year of marriage, we just didn't like each other anymore. And she threatened to leave me, actually. <clears throat> and uh, long story short, we went and got marriage counseling, and, and we worked on our marriage ever since then. Our marriage is great now. But the privilege we've had, some of you have come to us saying, hey, we don't like each other right now, and we've been able to share our stories with you and give you some, a little bit of advice, and God has blessed that. God has leveraged that horrible time in our lives to help other people. So, story goes on. Same way all seven sons presented by Samuel. Samuel says, no, not, no, not your number two. Or God says, not number three, not number four, number five, number six, number seven. The Lord has not chosen any of these. So now Samuel's scratching his head. Did I get the wrong house? Did I get the wrong message? Maybe I need to go back through the, through the seven again. And then Samuel asks, are these all the sons you have? Just kind of a reiterating, I already asked for all, but maybe, oh yeah, we, we, there is one other one. <laughs> uh, but he's out in the field, he's, he's watching the sheep and he's the goats. Now what's, the, what's, the, what's implied here? That nobody <laughs> thought this guy was kingly material, right? He was an afterthought. Um, can't be this guy. Could be any of the other seven of my sons. Can't be this guy. Sam was to send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So they were pretty anxious, I guess, to get him there, right? For mealtime. And <clears throat> he comes in. Of course, we know him as David. Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. I don't know what that <laughs> matters, but then the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came on David. Now, I can just imagine the scene. If I'm one of the seven brothers, or even Jesse, maybe even Samuel. God, you got this wrong. It isn't this guy. I thought that at 17. You got the wrong guy, God. This pastor thing, uh-uh. And I don't know what confusion you might have about whatever God's saying to you. The issue is not about your past. It's not about your mess-ups. It's not about your age. It's not about your personality. It's how the Father sees you. And the Father doesn't look on the outside. He looks at the inside. And maybe you were like me at 17. You said, not me, God. For any of those excuses or any others. But how do I know? 
It is you. It is me. Because 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son. We say, he loved the world. He sent his son to die. When we say world, it means people. It means you. It means me. God doesn't force himself. But you need to invite him. If you want to know his plan for your life, if you know what's best for you, you need to invite him. Let me end with some words from a song. Take my life, I lay it down at the cross where I am found. That's the pivotal point, the cross. All I have to give to you, O oh God. And sometimes we think about that, we think about, well, I got this gift or this talent. But that's not what it means. It means all. What does all mean? means it all. It means all the baggage, all the garbage, all the shortcomings, all the bad habits, all the failures. Give it all. And there's no limit what God and you can do when you have a heart for Him. David did tremendous things. He did some horrible things. The Bible tells us he was a man after God's own heart. Let me pray that prayer for you this morning. God, I do pray that prayer for each of us. That we'd have a heart after yours. That we'd have a desire to be so connected with you that we would see things and feel things and do things as you would do them, God. And wow, the things you might do. I can 40 years, 50 years ago, I couldn't imagine the life that I've had. Obviously not perfectly, but seeking you. I thank you, God, that you tapped me on the shoulder. God, I can't, I can't believe you're tapping some of these folks on the shoulder this morning. So as we started last week, we'll have somebody up here, up front, here to my left, that if you just want to talk or you just want somebody to pray with you, you can come up after the service. They'll still be there. But if God, I can't stress this enough. When God taps you on the shoulder, don't ignore it. Don't run. Just say, yes, God. What do you have for me? Especially if you're not a Jesus follower at this point in your life. Let this be the time. Because if you're not, I know Jesus is tapping you on the shoulder. Because he calls everybody into his family. You can either come and talk to someone up here, mark it on your card, and we can talk to you later. Jesus, we thank you that you love us enough to die for us and then live for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.